This is Thrive Perspectives, an ever-growing discussion about the issues and ideas that shape our lives with your guide, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Well, morning, Matt. Morning, Connell. I am uh, I'm a little bit intrigued and uh, to some degree a little excited about this conversation today. Uh, I learned a new word re- researching our topic for mm. today, uh, and I'm going to give it up front because we'll probably use it a lot, but uh, the word is ineff- ineffable. I can't even say Yeah, it. you really got excited about I that did, word, didn't I you? I did, because yeah. it, it kind of explains something that otherwise I couldn't explain. And Anyway, what we're going to be talking about today in our Thrive Perspectives episode as we continue our Worldview series, because we're going to be looking at language and how... Language limits our ability to explain things that are that are potentially unexplainable. The mystery of spiritual, particularly spiritual experience, uh, and how language actually puts a boundary on our ability to kind of really express that. Yeah, that's right. L- language actually enables, um, but language itself, and and I guess this is the point that I want to make. And I uh, volunteered this subject, and uh, you know my research for this subject has been. You know, twenty probably twenty years. <laughs> Mine was twenty. <laughs> you know, to be honest, <laughs> um, uh, because, and I guess the question here is, how can we say the unsayable? Because clearly, we understand that God is infinite and eternal. Okay, and what that means is that God is, in some sense, he he is within space and time, but he's also, but he's not limited by space and time. Neither are, are God's ways limited by space. Uh, and time, and so you know, so for example, Paul in Romans chapter eleven talks about you know how how unsearchable his yeah. judgments and his ways beyond our ways, and who has known the mind of the Lord, and and you know it's the perspective in in Job with all of Job's questions, uh, and essentially God's answer is well, even if I was going to answer, you could not comprehend the answer, the answer. right? Because because yeah. you know where were you at the foundation of the world, and 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 so forth, and so he's speaking there to the, to the limitations of job's capacity to even begin to comprehend uh, the ways of god mm. so that's that's it's a very strong uh, biblical theme and and so in the light of that understanding god is infinite and eternal and he's not bounded by space and time uh, yet language is though language is as a system it language is a logical system of symbols mm. uh, of signs mm. of words in other words mm. and uh, and it's all self-referential, like it's a closed logical system. It operates within space and time. We have tenses, you know, here it's and linear. there and you're yeah, now and then. That's yep. right. So the question is, uh, and, and, and I think it's worth recognizing that we use language to talk about God, which is completely appropriate. Language is, uh, is a uniquely human attribute, uh, in fact. And uh, it, it is actually... There's a there's a great uh, article written by Kevin Van Hooser in the Cambridge uh, Companion to Christian Doctrine, which is a a great sort of text on Christian beliefs, sort of introduction to Christian beliefs. It's uh, Cambridge Companion to Christian Doctrines uh, is is a great one, and Kevin Van Hooser talks about human identity, and he identifies actually the key element of human identity is our actually our ability to use language, and and in fact from the start when when we have the self-revelation of God, we meet God as a speaking, communicating God who imbues into us the ability to use language to respond to him, right? Mm. So uh, to be fully human means to be communicating creatures. And, well, and, and it's I, more than communicating, though, isn't it? Like 
even other even the animals oh, that's communicate right. in using a certain that's right in some a certain sort of way. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So at, at the highest level. Uh, that's right, because there are elements of that in all in all things. I mean, mm. even trees, in a sense, communicate chemically and and so forth. But at the high, we are at the highest level of of this ability to communicate. You know, everything is connected, and this is something we'll talk about uh, today as well. Me- medieval theologians talked about this chain of being, or a sort of hierarchy of being, where we where God has ultimate being, and we all participate in a sense in what comes from God. So, you know, language is something that we we have language because and we have logic and mathematics and all of those things ultimately because we are imbued by God with those with capacities. The that's right. Well, the portion and of his. That's yes. right. And we, we as the crown of creation, but everything, you know, uh as you say, uh animals communicate, yeah. even trees communicate chemically, you know, but as human beings we have this capacity to communicate in quite a uh, in quite a unique and very high sense to communicate personally and yeah. and, uh, well, we, and we communication even... is at the core of relationships so we have this yeah. relational ability that doesn't exist in other Outside creatures of because of because of language and so there's this you know when we think about the divine image and what it means to be created in the image of god god is introduced as the one who speaks the world into existence but then he creates mm creatures who who speak and relate and and we have in a sense to fulfill our humanity is really to communicate first with god and then with with each other mm, yeah so but, language you know i mean even i did a counseling course once and and you know it was recognized that really relationships are communication essentially communication mm. and so what what as you know in in for example in marriage counseling is that you equip a couple with the tools that they need to communicate with each other uh it was even interesting that we you know we were given pages of words used to describe feelings to broaden our vocabulary to help people to articulate what they were mm. feeling because when you can articulate what you what you can feel with each other Rather than slamming doors and punching the table, and you know, th- then actually the, it improves the relationship. Mm. So this ability to use language is a God-given, wonderful God-given thing mm. that's designed for uh, us to relate to each other and relate to God. That's the gift. That's what language can do. Mm. But what what I want to highlight today as well is that language has boundaries. Mm. There are certain things that you can't do with language as well. Mm. Even just listening to you talking then, it's like it's difficult to even describe what language is. We're trying to find the right words to say this is what language is, and we're talking about communication and relationship. I think mm. you said identity there as well, and I think all those things are are actually real. Like, we're just thinking about it. I mean, even in your own head, you use language to communicate mm. to yourself and, and understand, and so it's like mm. a tool to help you process ideas yeah. and assemble knowledge and and I, I think when I really think about it, my language and how I speak, whether I'm talking in my own head or communicating with other people or to God, it is in some ways sort of part of who I, who I am. It is. And and so it's much more profound than just basic communication, mm. you know, like what you might hear, sort of like animals signaling mm. to each other. And it's mm. not just not just signaling mechanism, yeah. but it, it's actually part of who it's actually much deeper. That's right. It's even deeper than what we can 
put into words in itself, which is kind of what I'm yeah, hearing. and and the point that, that I was making is in in one sense it's it's essential to our humanity and yeah. and the 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 more as I said the more we communicate and the, the more proficient we we relate to God and each other the more fully human we become mm. uh, in that sense. Now re- remember though, and and this is in the biblical story, uh, we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that represented in a sense, a step outside boundaries. And ever since then, human beings have tried to, to step outside the bound. Now, we can't do that, but uh, fallen humanity is an endeavour for us to be like God in the wrong sort of sense, yeah. in some ways on the outside looking in. And and perhaps because we can't step outside those boundaries, we then try to limit what we think is reality to what fits inside those yes, boundaries. Yes, that, that's right. Now, uh, now, that's right. Eventually, we get there. Now, uh, that that was after a long sort of historical process. Initially, mm. uh, you know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represented, uh, I guess, human autonomy, that we are going to be the law unto ourselves. We, you know, I'm going to decide for me what's, what's good right, and what's, what's evil, wrong. right? Yep. So it's us playing judge. And so that's the initial thing. And of course, you know, I mean, you know, kings throughout the ancient Near East, they they acted like gods giving laws to their people. They were never under those laws. <laughs> they were mm-hmm. always the lawgiver. I mean, the unique thing about the law of Moses and is that you know Moses and the kings and Everybody. the everyone was under the law, uh, mm. under the law of God. Eventually, uh, and and particularly with with the scientific, uh, well, with the advent of philosophy and uh, and then uh, with the growth of science, uh, you know, modern science, we got caught up in this endeavour to somehow, and we use this term to circumscribe reality. So, circumscribe means it, it, if if you can picture. In a sense, an attempt to stand outside of reality, if and that's even in, possible, yeah. and look in from the outside, yeah. and, and to sort of describe, to analyze it, you know. And so, you know, philosophies since, um, you know, Heraclitus and Pythagoras and and you know Plato and Aristotle and so forth, they've they tried to sort of grasp the the nature of reality in a sense, and mm. and to sort of describe it. And you know, I mean, th- th- there are there's a lot of Interesting and and even true things that that come you know come out of that. I mean, uh, but the endeavor is problematic in the sense that it can easily have us stand trying to play God in that sense that we are outside of reality, trying to explain it as though from the outside when you can't really do that, and 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 you certainly can't do that with language. And to bring us back to the mm-hmm. to the point. Language is a closed system. Reality is an open system. And what I mean by that is that reality, un- unless you think, and this getting back to what you said, Stu, yes, um, there have been people who think that reality is a closed system. Um, that's what the philosopher Charles Taylor refers to as an Im- the imminent frame. It's a way of, uh, or a closed world, mm-hmm. uh, what does he call it, a, a closed world um, system. And where there's only tangible reality, essentially, you know what I mean. And yep. and so, um, this this is the view, for example, within the scientism, those who thinks that there's no aspect of reality that cannot be, be described explained. scientifically through yeah. scientific equations, and yeah. um, uh, that's that's also known as materialism. It's def that that has probably had its heyday. It's definitely. Uh, it's definitely on the way waning, up. yeah. And 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 I say waning because I'm thinking of a um, 
a book published that I've referred to by Oxford University Press uh, called The Waning of Materialism, which is a whole lot of leading philosophers describing why materialism is is now no longer, mm-hmm. uh, well, believable, <laughs> yeah. really, because you, you just can't close reality in like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so reality is open in the sense that there is more to reality that can be described through mathematics and certainly with language. We've encountered the edges of this reality in quantum physics, mm. in, in you know even in cosmology, you know space-time singularities, <laughs> where all the, all the logic breaks breaks down. So, so and 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 then and, and that's without even going to you know are there more you know d- mm. more dimensions yeah. to this? You know? yeah. And and certainly we we would say yes, there is a spiritual dimension that is you know something like a. a if if we ex- if we live physically in three dimensions, there's there's another dimension to us, a spiritual dimension to our being, mm. and um, even and, if you brought it back a step and said, imagine this is two dimensions, yeah, and and what life looks like in three dimensions, they're completely different. Things, that's right, and know? that's the yeah. scenario was played out in that ni- late nineteenth century novel called Flatland, Flatland by yeah. Edwin yeah. Abbott, where he describes a two dimensional world inhabited by two dimensional shapes. Mm-hmm. That um, and and but one day they encounter one of the characters encounters a, a sphere, you yeah. know, three dimension, and he can't, he just cannot comprehend it within the categories, yeah, of, you know, within his perspective. He cannot even comprehend. So, if you were the two-dimensional being, you'd have no hope. No hope. Of, That's right. Of understanding what a three-dimensional object right. would be, and it's the same. I guess it's, it's the same with us. It's almost, almost guaranteed there are multiple dimensions beyond the ones that we perceive. Yeah. You know, the, the space and time. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it would just make no sense that that just that just because that's what we experience, that's all there is. So it's almost guaranteed there is more beyond yeah. that. Well, we know it is from yeah. a theological perspective yeah. anyway. But but then if you apply the same logic to that, what that looks like is completely inconceivable to us. And even if someone tried to, even if mm. God tried to explain right. it to you, you wouldn't just wouldn't be able to grasp it. No, like, that's right. And, that, and that's the Job scenario. It. That's right. That's the Job scenario. Yeah. You know, so. So we have reality as this open, let, let's call it an open system, if if, if you will, uh, contrast with with language that's a closed system. And it's important to recognize that when we use language to talk about spiritual things, we're using a closed system to talk about an open system. Yeah. So so that's I guess that's the issue. Now uh, now now some people will then say on that basis, therefore. We should just say nothing. We can't say anything about that. So there, there are plenty of people that think there is a spiritual yep. aspect, really, yeah. but we can't really say anything yep. about it, right? And but the problem is, if you can't say anything about it, there's not you can't really do anything about it. And when I say do anything about it, you cannot have any relationship Engage with it yeah. because mm-hmm. relationships are in a sense, activated through communication. Mm-hmm. Without communication, there's no relationship. So to, to not be able to say anything about God is to not be able to have a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And so this is, you know, for example, um, in uh, in the early 20th century, uh, the philosopher Wittgenstein made a contribution to all of the problems of philosophy by saying, well, all the problems of philosophy are really problems of language. Uh, that was, you know, he said, it's trying to make language do things that language mm-hmm. can't do, you know. 
and and to to some extent he's right in the sense that we try to circumscribe reality and there's already a problem there in trying to do that mm-hmm. you know now he he went on to say you know anything outside of because he said words have to refer to tangible facts if they don't refer to tangible facts you know they they mm-hmm. can't have have meaning I mean, and he says we just have to be silent about mm-hmm. anything outside of that now i think he did think that there was something outside of that reality but he wasn't um, going to speak about it but the problem with that is is that uh well you know then it can't have any yeah. uh can't have any effect uh, on our lives now what makes theology as a discipline even possible right because this is this raises this question so if god is ineffable i'm going to go yep. back to to your word that you were so excited about by the way i have been using that word <laughs> stew and you obviously haven't been paying attention yeah that's it clearly <laughs> yeah. uh, i don't know if i've used it in this podcast but uh, so if you know if god and 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 the ways of god are ineffable if they if they cannot be uh, fully comprehended yep. in language or, or fully analyzed mm-hmm. circumscribed this is why i like the word circumscribed because it's it's really like just summing things up and, and putting it in a box and tying it up in a bow, you know, yeah. like linguistically and logically. You can't really no. do that. Mm. Now, some people would say, well, therefore, theology is just impossible. You, mm. you know, uh, that's and, th- and there are people that would say theology is a futile discipline because because of that very reason. And, and they would say theology is just really ways of describing human responses to God. That's essentially where liberal theology Really begins with a mm-hmm. with a German um, theologian called Schleiermacher that said, uh, you know, theology is really us describing our responses. Uh, you know, to uh, mm-hmm. it's it's a description of human feelings about God because that's all we yeah. can really do. But now, just so like, there's a difference there though between um, d- while we can't understand the fullness of of what that reality is yeah. from in terms of language or even in you know our ability to comprehend it. Not every aspect of it is beyond our capability to understand. No, that's there right. are things that we we can know. So we may not know the fullness of it, but we can at least get bits of it. Yeah, that's right. And that comes back to that idea of that chain of being, because everything is connected. So at the top mm. of the chain, there are things that we cannot comprehend. And and in fact, I think it was Aquinas, Thomas Aquinas spoke about this analogy of being. So everything... Everything is connected and participates in the one reality that mm. God creates. And at the top, there are things we can't uh, understand, but they're connected with things we can understand. Yeah. And we can we can sort of lever off what we do understand to access what we can't understand. But that's that's. I, I want to get back to this point about how theology is even yeah, possible. That's great. Because it is possible, right? Mm. This is the thing. It is possible, and this is a point uh, that the uh, theologian Karl Barth made in very much in response to to Schleiermacher and and the, this sort of liberal movement. He said, "What makes theology possible is the fact that God comes in into the reality that we do understand. That God does things in time, in 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 space, in time, in history, and culminately has come to us in Jesus Christ." So. It is the incarnation of God in Christ that makes theology possible, right? Because God has revealed Himself, yep. has done things in time and revealed Himself mm-hmm. in time, and and the and particularly the fact that He is embodied in Christ. Remember, John refers to Jesus as the Word, mm-hmm. as the embodied Word, means that actually we can say things about God. 
we can know God mm. because Christ reveals who God is. And so it's the incarnation of God in Christ that makes theology mm. possible. Mm. Uh, now, it's interesting to note really that theology as a discipline really begins with the Christian movement. By contrast, the emergence of theology as, as a discipline you don't see that really in the Jewish tradition. Mm. You see uh, the rabbis talking about laws and how we live, but there really isn't mm. the there, there are there are elements of that in in the sense that because of course uh, Judaism is built on a long history of God having done things and interacted yeah. with people, mm. and so because God has interacted and God has revealed Himself and used language yeah. and described Himself using as a father and and you know using yeah. pictures that we can say so the lord is my shepherd i shall not want so yeah. yep. so there's all of this Metaphors. language that we can use about god so there's certainly uh there's certainly a lot that they can say uh, about god but it's not really until the incarnation that you really get you know any possibility of theology as a Just discipline before you go there like fuller sense in that context there when you're talking about theology i guess theology then is trying to understand God or understand how he works or why he works, where Judaism was just accepting this is what God wants from us. Like there's a sacrificial um, system, there's there's laws, or there's ways yeah, that he yeah. wants us to. So we just accept that that's what God is and what he wants, and this is what we've learned, and we just live with that rather than trying to put it into some sort of framework that explains why those things are the way they are. Would that be a... Yeah, uh, although in some sense, I would say we need to get back to a little bit of that. And and this yeah. is where, because, uh, yeah. so yes, theology is made possible by the fact that God has come to us in Jesus Christ and revealed himself in this very, in this very tangible way. Mm. And and this is actually a, a key point that, that I, I want to make is that we need to, however, still understand the nature of theology as a discipline, yeah, what it does do and what it what it can't do, you know. So what it does do is that it describes who God is and what God is, who we are, what the problem is with the world, what God has done about that in Christ, what He has done, what He is doing now, and what He's going to do. So it describes those things. Now those things are describable. Why? Because God has done all of those things and is doing and will do those things. In history, yeah, in time, in yep. you know, it not only in yes. some uh, eternal realm outside of what we can comprehend. It all that's where you know that's where it's coming from, and so you know, Paul is quick to say when he describes in in Romans, which is a very theological letter, in the culmination point, you know, in chapter eleven, he says, "Oh, the depths of the wisdom and the knowledge of yep. God! How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out." He says, "Look, we can describe this stuff." Because we have apprehended, I'm going to, and I'm going to use this distinction between apprehending and comprehending uh, for the moment. So we have apprehended these things in history. God has done these things, but we don't really comprehend it mm. in the sense that 
we can't stand outside it and look in like I can look at this table in front of me or, or yeah. you know, uh, my phone is sitting on the on the table. I could pull it apart and and, and pull all the bits apart and sort of understand it based uh, on its bits. I probably couldn't, but <laughs> theoretically a smarter person than me uh, could understand how it all works, right? Now, we cannot do that with, mm. with theology. Theologically, you can't mm. dissect the plans of God in that in that way and understand yeah. how it all works and why it works and, and so forth. It's still very important that we that we do understand, even within those limitations, that we understand the facts about what God has done, who God, you know, all of those things that I just described. That's what that's why theology is important because we have God has revealed yeah. himself to us. He's done certain things in history. He's going he's doing and going to do things in history. And for us to understand who God is, who we are, what we're, how we're meant to live, yeah. uh, that's why we need theology. It's what theology yeah. tells us. But theology cannot, however, because it's always referring to something outside, it, it, it's referring to an open system, it can't therefore be this neat little – it's not like a mm. – um, it can't be this neat little – you know, box really. You know, that's all always going to be logical, and it's going to be fraught with paradoxes. That you know, there there are going to be things that aspects of it that we will never try and understand. This was the problem in all the Trinitarian uh, debates in the early church when people kept trying to explain how it is that you know God can be Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they tried to come up with logical ways of depicting that that sort of made sense. And and in in the end, the tr- the sort of final Trinitarian formulas that came out was so riddled with paradox. They're, in a sense, trying to prevent people from saying, this yeah. is what the Bible says, mm. and let's not try and yeah. Yeah. sort of comprehend it fully. So you really just have to accept it. You have to accept the paradox rationally within our re- physical reality that we are living in. Yep. It doesn't make sense. Like you are basically saying one plus one. You know, equals three kind of thing. But it's kind of, it doesn't make sense. But why should it make sense? Because Mm. we're talking about the nature of of God and the Godhead and how all what a logical thing even trumps the fact that the Trinity doesn't quite make logical sense. To me, the logical idea that why should I, why should it even be logical? That's right. It's it kind of makes sense it that it shouldn't make sense. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So you have to be okay with that. We'll come back to the just accept uh, thing because yeah. um, in a way we don't just accept. There's a bit more uh, to yeah. it uh, than that. But this is where, and again, I just want to dwell on this idea of the nature of theology and it, it becomes problematic because there are lots of theological debates, you know, that, that, you know, for example, about one of the famous ones about the relationship between human choice and divine predestination, mm. you know. Yeah. And, oh, man, the debates mm. around this are problematic in the sense that they're trying to use logic to understand something that's outside of logic. So, ha- how, you know, on, on the one hand, human responsibility and human choice is real. You know, we need to respond to God in faith in order to be saved. Salvation is by faith, right? Faith is a choice. And yet we're also told that ultimately, you know, that that God predestines Mm -hmm. people to faith. And and it's like, how do those things work together? Mm -hmm. And people get so vexed over that, they try and come up with ways that make it well, the two boxes that make that, it make sense. So the two they, boxes it goes into is the Calvinists and the 
Yeah, yeah that's right. So, so people usually put themselves into one of those boxes. Yeah, and, then- and, and so people say things, for example, like, well, it would make sense if God, like, he foresees yeah, we try that this person it. responded in this way. And on that basis, he predestines it. Okay, yeah, that makes that makes sense. That's the problem I have with it. Yeah, <laughs> is that, yeah exactly. Is right. that it makes too much it's sense. The, it's not, it shouldn't make it sense. Shouldn't, yeah. You know, the the like a, a modern, you know, when I say modern, like late nineteenth century uh, theologian, like uh, Herman Barvink, who's a who's a reformed theologian, very much subscribes to this idea, is happy to leave this with all its paradoxical elements. I yeah. think that is true. In that is a sort of true representation of that, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and and. And we've just got to catch ourselves out when we're having these debates, trying to figure, th- well, how could this be? Oh, well, it could be mm. if, you know, if God f- looks forward and he sits, because you look and, you know, you, you're working on this linear, you know, this linear timeline. And, that's either not or how it distin- works. and either or distinctions. We can't cope with yeah. the unity of opposites. We that's just right. can't cope with that. It's either exactly. or. It yeah. can't be both of those things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because, of course, we're working within a time, within a temporal, yeah. Yeah. A space-time perspective. But God is working outside of that. So we've just got to be mindful when we're having that so much time gets wasted in theological discussions of people trying to make things logic. That was the problem in all of the Trinitarian, you know, things like like views like modalism. Well, maybe God, the Father, you know, uh, sort of turned into this and then turned into that and, to, and, and on this linear, you know, they're trying to explain on this linear. They said, yeah, but hang on, but then you've got Jesus praying god the son praying to god the father and the spirit interceding within us to so how to, it and it just it mm, yeah. because the way that it's described in scripture is fraught with paradox but that's a natural paradox is is a natural symptom of yeah. us trying to use language to describe something that language that is yeah. ineffable yeah the the challenge with that though Matt, and i totally agree we can waste a lot of time trying to explain things that are essentially unexplainable and we shouldn't even try to explain the challenge with that comes in the, you know, when we get involved in apologetics or when we're trying to have a conversation with someone who, you know, they're looking for the explanation and we feel the need to try to explain mm-hmm. what's unexplainable yep. because otherwise we just have to say, well, I don't know. And that feels like I'm not actually really. Yeah, really yeah. good point. So, so let's look at how the Bible explains. Great. It. This is. You know, we, we tend to think that to explain something is, I'm going to come back to that word, is to circumscribe it logically, right? So we can tie it up in a bow and sort of hand it to them. And, or, they, or, yeah. and they receive it and say, oh, yeah, this makes perfect sense. Yeah. You know so let I mean? me just explain circumscribe again, because I think it's important people understand. It's it's essentially being able to take yourself outside and look in from the outside. That's yeah. what you're really saying. Yeah, it's to As use language to it. sort of analyze it fully Yes. And so you use language and I form, you know, perfect idea. Like mm. you could, you know, uh, you could potentially circumscribe this cup sitting yes. in front of me. You just describe all its elements yeah. and I can form a picture in my head, yeah. you know, of this thing as an object in front of me. But God is not like, he's not an object, you know, a limited object in front of us. Let me just take that one step further. If I was inside the cup, yeah. it would be very difficult that's for me right. to describe exactly. that to you. Yeah. And, and essentially we're inside the cup. Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, we are, as we've said in a previous, we are immediately immersed in the reality of God. We are even participating in our very being. We are participating in the being of God because God is the fountain of all being. So to explain things, I think we should recognize, well, how how does God, how did God explain things, you know, in, in, yeah, it's great. to us yep. in, in language? Let's go there. And as you read through the Bible, you, you, you see a heavy use of symbol and metaphor mm. 
to describe these things and and the the you know the ways of God. You know, Jesus says, "How I have longed to gather you together as a as a uh, hen gathers her chicks under her wings." You know, so he is using an analogy there to describe something about his love for for his people. Yeah, and you know, you see, you know, throughout the Bible, first of all, there's a story being told. Mm. So that that brings it along that linear uh, narrative. So so God, uh, in His relationship to us, that can be described in terms of a story, right? Because it's a relationship, and relationships are interactions, and and an in- interactions have a history, right? Mm. And it's never an individualistic story. It's always God and His people, not just persons, mm. but people. And we belong to this this. And God reveals Himself to His people, right through through history, through interactions, and so we know God uh, because of what God has done, and um, but also in the ways that that we see, you know, God described, as I said, as a father, as a shepherd of sheep, as the vine and the branches, and and you know, in in ways that you know, even the sort of language that's used, uh, you know. The language of spirit, you know, God is spirit. Yeah. Uh, John says, and and in Hebrew, the word was ruach, and also means wind. So it's mm-hmm. like, well, uh, you know, they they would refer to the spirit of God. In fact, Genesis uh, chapter one verse two refers to the spirit of God hovering over the waters. Right. So, but but spirit in Hebrew also means wind. Right. So, so this is where you know, in 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 our previous conversations about God. You know, I've said God is like air. You know, it's he's. We, we don't really notice. He, he, you know, air is everywhere. Even in every cell in our body, we have you know oxygen, and we can therefore readily not notice. And so, I've used a metaphor, and I've also said, you know, and mm. air when it moves, we call it wind. You know, and it, and mm. and God moves. You know, and and so, it's it's using things that God create has created uh, to. Explain the creator, to, yeah. To well, to to ex- yeah, explain, but not no. in the sense that we circumscribe. You no. know, it's it's to refer to, to reveal, really. Yeah, to reveal. That's that's yeah. a, that's a better way mm. to uh, to put it, because uh, God ha- reveals Himself through His creation. Right, everything in creation reveals something about God, God. and that comes back to this analogy of being, or this ch- great chain of being uh, that m- medieval theologians talked about, which I think is a great idea because everything. Uh, you know, God as the f- uh, the fountain of all being, I'm taking that term from the Westminster Confession of Faith, God as the fountain of all being means that everything relates or participates in God in some it's sense by, by virtue of their very being. And so everything is connected with God. So it's completely legitimate, therefore, uh, medieval theologians argued, to use language and to use the things that God has created to refer upwards to God Himself, because that's why God created everything in the first place. Like everything, right. you know, um, the heavens declare the glory of God. Yeah. Uh, all of creation uh, sings His praises. You know, th- there's statements like this uh, are made. Everything speaks of God. Everything points up, you know, up the chain of being yeah. uh, to God, who is at the top. And so, so this is where we can use language, but. What's envisaged in that use of language is not the scientific describing sitting around, you know, uh, you know, dissecting something in an in a detached, objective way. No, this is this is something different. This is uh, because we ourselves have that being, and if you imagine, we are referring to God not in not in a scientific way like circumscribing God, 
but we refer to God in acts of worship and praise and adoration. It's it's mm. it's not analytical. No, you can't. Right. We can't analyze God, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but with language, we're given language. And our, in our very being, and in fact, all creation, as the as the Bible says, praises God. All creation praises God. We we're given language, not so that we can dissect God. We're given language so that we can respond to God. Mm-hmm. And we of all creatures have the highest ability to do that. I mean, uh, you know, the Psalms talk about the trees and the you know. The trees clap their hands and sing. For, you know, the, yeah. the fields sing for joy. You know all of these mm-hmm. and. Okay, it's it's being metaphorical, but there is a real sense in which creation, by its very being, it it exudes the glory of God. Uh, but we we have this gift of language, and we can respond. We can sing God's praises, and praising God means not telling God how good He is, uh, but telling each other to how praise. Yeah. You know, if I praise you, yeah, uh, yes, okay, I will say how much I appreciate you, and we say that to God. But it also means raving about you to other people, you know, and and so praising God involves us raving about how wonderful God is to each other, you know, yeah. as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And that's all of this language that we're given about God. You, this is what you see in the Bible: is these and and then then reaching for metaphors. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He leads me beside green pastures, and it's described. You know, He restores my soul. It's describing things that are happening. Like there are things that are happening in and around our lives right now that we cannot possibly comprehend. Mm. There is more divine activity in and around our lives than we could even begin. It's like the tiniest tip of the iceberg. We yeah. can, you know, we, we can sense, but we can respond and praise God by using analogies. The Lord is my mm-hmm. shepherd. Yeah. He's leading me. He's leading me to still waters. And there's something, there's something gratifying about that. Yeah. To speak about it and say it, you know, yeah. this is what God is doing. But we reach for metaphor and 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 symbol when we when we do this, and when we're in our language. And I mean, it's you know, we, we just have to reflect back on, you know, the prophets of the Old Testament who had these intense spiritual experiences that they really couldn't explain using language, and so they used pictures, yeah, that's and right, metaphors yeah. and allegories to try to explain what they had experienced. Yeah, that's right. Know? Yeah. And I think it's the combination of these things that, you know, for example, in the first chapters of the Bible, it helps us to understand what's happening there. Because in the first three chapters of the Bible, you have this really rich kind of symbolic theological, these rich, richly theological texts. You know, there's 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 a range of approaches to that. And I'm talking about within, you know, evangelicalism, within those who yeah. take the Bible as the word of God. Mm. Some people sort of lean towards more, oh, it's it's just... You know, all of this is just symbolic kind of language. It's it's a story. It's a story told in symbols, but they're just symbols. And so there and, wasn't a real tree with yeah, yeah, fruit. yeah. Not not a real tree, and and not a you know, Satan didn't really appear as a serpent. This is just a way of mm-hmm. symbolically Explaining. telling the story. Now, because God has done things in history, I, I do I do lean towards. There being a reality now. To now I'm, I totally recognise that the stories are told theologically, but I think 
absolutely. Why wouldn't Satan have appeared yeah. as a serpent? Mm. You know, why we know that God sets up decision-making mechanisms mm. like the temple was yeah. and the sacrifice. We take communion. It's physics real. It's not yeah. just, no, you know, right. it's a symbol, but it's also a real symbol, right? Mm. And it's given to us so that we can make a decision. Mm. So I don't see any reason why there would not have been two yeah. trees. And in reality, the, the, the dare I say, the, the propensity to want to kind of say it's just symbolic is actually in a way to dismiss the sense that it just doesn't seem like it makes sense to well there is a danger there is a danger with that because you see that especially in a more liberal view of the the bible that you would be taking things well that's a symbolic representation of something and it's actually well no it's no it's not i don't we would disagree as to whether it's a symbolic representation or whether it is actually saying no this is actually explaining Mm. something it's not just symbol so if something you don't like or something doesn't fit it's easy to how consult. I yeah. think it should be. I can turn it into a symbolic or metaphorical thing that then I can then mould into what I actually want it to say. You know, there's a date yeah. there, and obviously different parts of the Bible are written that way. Some parts are clearly metaphorical, mm. and other parts are explaining specifically yeah. something you need to understand it this way. Yeah, just just to if just to, for accuracy, just to define what actually. Because the word liberal gets yep. thrown around, I think, far too, well, liberally. Hmm. Like, there are evangelicals that would look at, you know, Genesis and say, no, no there wasn't really too true. It's just, it's you know, just a symbol. Now, I okay, um, and, and they believe that's just how God chose to reveal that, mm-hmm. you know, through this symbolic retelling. That's not no. yet liberalism no. because they still as long as it's still the belief that it's it's the revelation of god you yeah. know and liberalism really is that perspective that treats everything in the bible as purely human yeah. production what's well, like you know, the miracles it's of jesus bottom never. Up. i mean my view of the bible is that all of the writers of the bible received or were inspired by god mm-hmm. And so that the Bible as a whole I can refer to as the word of God in that sense doesn't bypass the, the human author, works through the human author. That liberalism is working from the bottom up. It's all just yeah. humans. So it's, it's, the reason, it's descriptions of human you know, experience. The, the reason you'd say Jesus didn't do miracles is because I'm trying to create a vision of theology that is acceptable to yeah, that's the, right. The human so, mind. So that, that does says, happen as well. So yeah. that doesn't make sense. Those things don't yeah. really happen. So therefore, you reinterpret it all to it's kind of Jesus fit back in the box. We're kind yeah. of putting that it back, trying to rationalise it in some way, and then go, "Oh, it's just metaphorical." Yeah. So they would say, "Yeah, it's just a story, and it has yeah. a moral uh, to the story." Yeah. And yeah. Anyway, so so that's just a distinction between that. Now, now I think, as as I've said, I mean, God has done things in history. He, that's a very key aspect. Uh, so. Uh, so I do take seriously w- w- when it says this and that happened. I I, I totally accept that mm. it's told theologically, mm-hmm. and that it would be difficult for us to historically reconstruct what actually happened. Anyway, in those instances, certainly it would be impossible to describe scientifically mm. what ha- uh, what happened because it's told theologically, but it's told in a way and using symbols and and it's told in a way that conveys something about who God is, who we are, and what the plan of God is, in a way that appeals to our imaginations that we can then respond to. And it's inviting us, and this is where language then becomes something like a 
a two-dimensional gateway to a three-dimensional reality if, mm. in that sense, you know, to use yeah. the, go back to that metaphor. If we describe language as two-dimensional mm. uh, and reality as three-dimensional, so, you know, w- when I read my Bible, you know, I'm reading the words of Paul and that's the, the, and so I totally believe that what is there is the totally the result of divine inspiration. But just because I memorize all of those words does not yet mean that I know the truth, because I just know the truth in two dimensions. I need to, I need to actually access that. It's, it's like a, a doorway, in a sense, for me to go into that. And, and the way that I move into that actually is to make a decision to entrust my life. It's, the, it's a relational response, not just an intellectual response, uh, because I can never comprehend it fully intellectually. I can never know it that way. I've got to make a decision to respond and and move with God and respond to God's invitation to present myself as a sacrifice of worship to God. That's how I know. And it's interesting in the in the letters of Paul if you have a look in in Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, have a look at what he prays. And whenever he prays, he's praying things like that you would know, you know, that that the Spirit of God would enlighten your heart so that you would so there's something there's something to respond to, to open our hearts to God who wants to connect with us. And and it's through this dynamic relationship of interaction with God that's how we know, and that's made possible. That connection is made possible through Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Thrive Perspectives. Our hope is that these discussions will challenge you to look at life from a new perspective. You'll find all our resources at the Thrive Today website, thrivetoday.tv. If there's a topic that you'd like us to discuss, please email us. Our email is contact at thrivetoday.tv. Until next time, our prayer is that you will thrive.